Good morning, Mission View Church. It's so good to be together. I'm glad your clocks were able to be turned. I didn't yet enjoy an extra hour of sleep. We'll mourn this in the spring, but we're okay right now. We got an extra hour of sleep. It's a good thing. We just finished up a series last week on Gifted. If you missed out uh, on any part of that series, you can go online and you can see it. Uh, last week, Pat Culpepper kind of capped it off. Isn't it, when Pat speaks, it's like drinking out of a fire hydrant, isn't it? It's awesome. It's awesome in a good kind of way. And I just love his passion, his energy, and it's really good for us to have different voices that present the Word of God, and so I'm encouraged with that. Now, I don't know if your house, if any of you have one of these laying around. I'm going to guess that you do, but maybe not as good-looking of a, a picture album as this. Now, this kind of dates Lee and I. This is our actual wedding album, okay? If you want to see our pictures of what we look like when uh, we got it all wrong in, in, in our toast, we, in, when we toasted, we didn't know what we were doing, so we were like giving each other a drink instead of wrapping our arms around. So uh, it, we have evidence of all that right here in this picture album. Now, I know a lot of times when we look at old picture albums, it's, I don't know, during the holiday times when, the, when you have a little bit of downtime, you might pull out some of the albums. Maybe if you're preparing for something special, you get a few of those pictures. But in doing so, what we often do is we look to see how much we've changed, right? Come on, be honest. You look at what you were like way back when, and you're like, man, this is, man, I, I'm, I'm actually glad I've changed. I had a baby face back then. You know, you're glad that you've changed. Maybe you had buck teeth and you got that changed and taken care of. Uh, maybe you had a mullet like I did, okay? And you're really glad that it's really changed for me, really. And so we look at that kind of stuff, and we're glad that we, we were not in the same place we once were. We're equally glad that we're not in the same place uh, in, in, in the level of our maturity or, or our self-centeredness or maybe the sins that held us down as a youth. We've been able to overcome those things. The whole point is that we want to be overcomers. We want to change from what we previously were to being something different. We hope that there is a greater level of maturity uh, for us in the future. We might look back and desire that pristine teenage body that we once had, but I, I probably, I'm going to guarantee it's probably not as good as you thought it was. And so we can let even that go. In this series that we're going to be doing, it's called Overcome. And so what we're trying to do is show how we as, in, as believers can overcome. And the kind of the subtitle is making the making of a leader. And so we're going to do two case studies to understand what a leader is all about. But let me give you the pivotal truth that it has to be true of every single person. Jesus. Jesus is the pivotal person in our life. If we do not have Jesus, then we do not have transformation, plain and simple. But if we know Christ, then we can have transfer, we can know the transformation that God wants to do in our life. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at two characters in the scriptures. We're going to look at Peter and we're going to take, uh, take a look at Paul. And so we're going to take two months to look at Peter. And in the first month, we're going to look more in the Gospels of Peter. And we're going to see the way he was. And then we look at him in the book of Acts to see what he became. And we'll do the same thing for the Apostle Paul. And I think in our minds, we look at these people as heroes of the faith. But we forget that they were pretty rough. They were pretty crude and maybe even cruel a little bit in their past. And God helped them to overcome. And so we're going to use them as a case study. But we're also going to do something else. We're going to do what we did like with Michael and Amy Hopkins. We want to inject different stories of people within this body that have had turnaround stories. They've had comeback stories where Jesus has made a difference in their life. And so if you have one of those stories, I'd like to hear it. I believe anybody that has had Christ transform them has a story. And you may not have yours up on the screen, but I hope that you'll share your story with somebody else in the body. Let's allow the next couple of months to be times where we share our stories with one another and allow us to get to know each other on a deeper level and that there could be a greater level of intimacy even amongst ourselves. So let's... Let's strive to do that. Now, as we go into this series, I want you to know I have a few objectives uh, or outcomes that I am praying that God would do in our body. So if these are things that I'm committing to my prayer list, I think you ought to know in advance, be warned, this is what I'm praying for you. It's also what I'm praying for myself. Here's number one, that we would recognize the change that Jesus has done in our life that we would recognize that change. If you cannot recognize change, then there's not been transformation. You may not know Christ. So let's recognize the change. I'm praying that that would be very, very crystal clear to every person. Number two, that, that we would understand that God has a calling in our life. He has a calling for every single one of us. You know Ephesians 2.10, it says that God has created us to be a workman for him, prepared in advance. He prepared in advance for you to be a workman for him. We're told in Hebrews chapter 12 that we are to run the race that is marked out for us. There is a calling that God has on every single one of our lives. There are some similarities in that calling that there are some universal things that we should all be doing and there are some unique things that God has crafted out for just you as an individual. Number three, that we would become responsible, responsible for the gospel message. What do I mean by responsible for the gospel message? Meaning that we don't just appreciate what Christ did for us, but that we would understand that we're stewards of the gospel. We're stewards of the responsibility within our circle of of influence, our core, our circle of responsibility, those that are within the rhythm of our life, that we would be able to share that good news with those people, that we would become responsible for that message. And number four, I'm praying that we would be willing to lay down our lives for the sake of Christ. Peter lays down his life, Paul lays down his life, 
And God has called us to lay down our life as well. If anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. So let's pray that God would do that in our midst. Now, let me give you a, just an overview of what we're going to do today. We're going to start off by looking at Peter. I'm going to introduce you to him. And we're going to look at him from the very beginning of, his, of where he comes on the scene. And so this is going to be a 30,000 foot view where we're going to look at the culture by which Peter operated. And then we're going to come down about 15,000 feet and we're going to look at the crowd that Peter hung out with. And then we're going to get really intimate and we're going to come down for the landing where we look at the calling that God had on Peter's life. So we're going to look at the culture, we're going to look at the crowd, and then we're going to look at the culture. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Father, that as we look at your word today, that you would give us greater understanding as to the kind of overcoming that you want to do in our own life. I pray, Father, that you would help us to see that you do not want us to stay dormant, you do not want us to stay where we are, but that you want us to progress in our leadership. You want us to progress in our walk with you. You want us to grow deeper in our relationship with you. There are some here, Lord, that may not know you. I pray, Father, that they would come to understand who you are. I pray for the mature that have been here, that are, that are growing in you, that they would grow even deeper yet. And so, Lord, take each of us where we are and move us forward. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be looking at Luke 5, so you can turn there in the Bible, but we have a lot of ground to cover, and we'll be covering that in the last 10 minutes, actually. So let's cover the culture first. The person that I believe can introduce us to the culture of that time is a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist had a very special role. He's the cousin of Jesus, and he was to be what is considered the forerunner to Jesus. Now, the forerunner, the term forerunner, means a person that comes in advance of the king to make announcement that the king is coming, the king is coming. And that, in essence, is what John's job was. There was a king that was going to be coming and starting his ministry, and his name would be King Jesus, and his job was to introduce him in that way. In fact, it was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40 that he would do this. And this is what it said in Isaiah 43. It says, A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, John the Baptist, as he comes in on history at this time where Christ is born as well and he's going to start his ministry, you need to know that it was an extremely corrupt culture. It was corrupt on every single level. There was a family called the Herods. There were many, many different Herods. Sometimes we read about a Herod in Scripture and we think, oh, there's that guy again. Well, it may not be the same person because there was a whole Herod family. Now, this Herod family was guilty of murder, murdering their own family members. There was scandal all over the place and there were incestual relationships in this family. So it was corrupt through and through. But you also had 
the religious leaders who were beholden to the Herod family because they wanted to get, the Jewish leaders wanted to get things for their temple, and so they had to play nice, and so as a result, they lowered their own standards. So we have the politician, the religious leaders of that day, they were corrupt. And so that just kind of has a way of trickling down into society. You've heard the phrase, as goes leadership, so goes the people. And so we see this in the culture. And for the Jewish people, you got to understand, there's really been a time of silence where God has spoken. It's been nearly 400 years. It's been 400 years since a prophet has spoken in the land. And as a result, it's the, the people were acting, they were kind of like national Jews uh, or religious. They were religious by name only, but they weren't practicing. They almost felt like God had come, gave them life, and then just left them to their own devices. They were functional agnostics in the way that they were living their life. And so this is the, the culture. This is the vibe of the land. This is the spiritual temperature where John the Baptist enters into the picture. Now, John the Baptist was a weird dude. He, he did things differently. He ate locusts. He wore camel skins. He didn't look like everybody else, but he had a powerful message. And it was a voice of God that people had never heard in their lifetime. And he started preaching this message of repentance and forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness. We're told this in Luke 3, we're told that John went through all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. See, this message was both bitter and it was sweet. It was bitter in that it brought the problem of sin right to people's door. John got right in their face. He didn't allow them to keep sin at arm's distance like it's somebody else's problem. He brought confrontation right to the people that he grew up with. He knew what they were like. And he says, you are guilty of this. And he especially did it to the religious leaders. Nobody stood up to the religious leaders of the day. But he was willing to tell them what they were like and their corruption. And he called them a brood of vipers. And he says, you guys are corrupt through and through. And you can't use your righteousness as this mass, this cloak of righteousness, as if you don't have any problems. Yes, you claim that you're Abraham's children. But I'm going to tell you that the axe is at the, is at the root of the tree and every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. How well was that received by the religious leaders? You're a brood of vipers. You better keep with the fruit of repentance and you need to repent. If not, God's going to cut you down and you will burn wasn't a lighthearted message. Interestingly, the religious leaders rejected it. They wanted John gone, and eventually they would have his head. But the, the people, the common people, guess what they did? 
They lined up to repent. The Spirit of God used this in their hearts. And we see that they were, it says in Luke 3, 6, that they were confessing their sins. And then they got baptized. Now, for a world that was used to keeping sin at arm's distance, this was an amazing turn of events. But this was John's influence on this corrupt culture. Years ago, when I was a Bible student, this was a long time ago, we used to do these uh, surveys as part of our uh, witness or street evangelism. And so we would go out with surveys and just say, hey, would you give me your input on a few things? And one of the questions that we asked is this, what in your opinion is the greatest problem in the world? Now, the best I can recall, I can remember people saying, well, there's a problem of war in the world. We think that that's a real big problem. And of course, you know, the government is divided. Our country is divided. Uh, there's crime. There's pollution. There's social injustice. These are the problems that are in the world. Now, in all the surveys I did, I can't recall one person saying, you know what? I'm the problem. I'm the problem, and it's my sin. My sin is the greatest problem in the world. Nope, nobody answered that way. They kept it at arm's distance and they looked at the effects of sin, but they never looked introspectively and said, okay, I'm part of the problem. If I were to ask that same question to people today, I think we would get similar answers. But they would give us new examples or ones that are right out of the headlines, like... A person that plows down a bunch of people in lower Manhattan this, earlier this week. Tragic. Eight people die. Many others are hospitalized. I started listening to the commentators to see what they were saying. Because he had a gun, of course, you heard something about gun control. I even heard one commentator say, you know what? We need to have stiffer regulations in renting trucks. It's as if we think we can regulate the issues of the heart. See, the problem is not the effects of sin. The problem is sin within us. Yes, the person that got in the truck, he had some very bad theology. He very bad theology. But it was really the sin within his heart. Why do we do evil things? Why are things going on in this world that are so horrendous? Jesus says this. Jesus says the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. We can't keep it out there. We've got to bring it in personal. And this is what he says. And he says in Mark 7, he says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. From within him, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality. Theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile the person. You see, the message of John the Baptist in that culture is still the message we need today. It's still the message we need today because we have a corrupt an evil world and the need is for us to come to grips with our sins for there to be repentance and so my question to all of us would be this have you dealt 
with your sin head on. Some of us need to heed the wisdom that was given in Genesis. Behold, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to consume you. Have we dealt with sin in our lives in light of a holy God? This was the culture. Now I want to go down a little bit and start introducing you to Peter and where he comes in. Now we know that Peter, some of you know that he was a fisherman. What you might not know is some, uh, some theologians have calculated it and they believe that seven out of the 12 disciples were fishermen. So these are the crowd, this is the crowd that Peter is hanging out with. He's hanging out with the fishermen community. Now I think there's some good things about this and there's some bad things. Here's the good things. Fishermen were hard, hard workers. They worked through the night. They worked during the day. They, they just were disciplined in that way because they knew their paycheck came from what they caught. They were courageous because they were out on the, on the sea and they, storms came up. They had to be patient. They had to be determined. They had to have knowledge about fish. And to be honest, they had to have a little bit of faith that they were going to catch fish that day. So these are all positive attributes that I think when Jesus sees and invites these fishermen, I think he, these are positive things that would be for the gospel. But you also got to understand that this is a rough crew. I believe that this crew, well, they were rough around the gills, okay? They, were, they, they had problems with their mouth. They had their inside jokes with each other. They had their little jokes. They had their crude, crudeness. They were very boorish in nature. And so we see that this, this, is, this is the fisherman community. It would probably be equivalent to a construction crew. Has anybody ever worked on a construction crew? Raise your hand. If you've, you understand exactly what I am talking about. It can be exactly that way. How do we know Peter was that way? Well, if you fast forward to after three years with Jesus, remember when Jesus was on trial and he's about to go to the cross and Peter's warming himself up by the fire and someone says, hey, you're, you're a Galilean. You're, you're with that guy named Jesus. No, no, that's not me. It's not me. Moves over to somewhere else and, and someone else comes to him and says, hey, you're, you're with that guy Jesus, aren't you? No, 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 it's not me. It's not me. And then the third time, he starts screaming out obscenities. And he swears he's not a part of that man. Knows nothing of him. See, I think that was the old Peter coming, coming out. This was a rough crew of people. But then in comes Jesus. And then John, I'm, you don't have to turn there. Just listen to it. John chapter 1, verse 35. This is the very first encounter that Jesus has. The next day, John, talking about John the Baptist, was there again with his two disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, behold the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said, Come, and, I will, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. 
The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, means, which is translated Peter. Now, as Andrew, what we see here is that Andrew had been hanging out with John the Baptist. Now, that tells us something. It tells us that Andrew had become acquainted with this message of repentance that, uh, that John the Baptist had been preaching. And these brothers are pretty close. So if one brother knows something, the other brother knows something as well. And so I'm going to guess that Peter was very well acquainted with what, what, what that message was all about. And one day Jesus walks by and John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God. That was his way of saying, Andrew, it's okay. You go follow him and see what he's all about. And so that's what he does. And after he spends the day, he goes running to his brother, Simon. He says, Simon, we have found the Messiah. That tells me that Andrew had early buy-in. He knew that there was something different about this guy. This guy is the Messiah. This guy is the Christ. And so Peter wants to meet him. We don't get, we're not given Peter's thoughts. But I got to imagine it would felt strange for Peter to walk up to this man for the very first time and, and Jesus saying to him, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas. He changes his name. He gives him the nickname of Peter. How strange that must have been. But, but, but Peter's starting to soak this in. He probably sees something different about him. And then we see the second encounter. I'm going to read that as well. You don't have to turn there. It's in Mark. Mark chapter 1. And this is what happens. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Come follow me, said Jesus, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little further, they saw James and John, sons of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. And so in this situation, we see that Peter and Andrew get their business associates and they go follow Jesus. Now, I believe this was also very temporary because by Luke chapter 5, we see them out fishing once more. But there's a process that's going on in Peter's mind and heart. Now, let me pause before we get to the Luke 5. I want to pause and just make one observation. The observation is this. God takes us where we are. God takes us where we are and he sees the potential of what we could be. A lot of people feel like they got to clean themselves up before God or they are constantly in a perpetual state of unworthiness before God. And you may feel that way, but you got to understand Jesus approaches you in a totally different way. He looks at you and he sees what he wants in you. He sees the person that he wants to, you to become. How do I know that? Why did, P, why did he change Peter's name? Why did he change Peter's name? I'll tell you why. He changed Peter's name because the name he gave him was symbolic. 
He says, you are Peter. The word Peter means the rock. Jesus saw what Peter was. He didn't see him as a foul mouth kind of fisherman. He saw him for the person that he would become, that he would become a leader in a movement in the planting of churches in the, in the world. He would see Peter as one that was instrumental in changing the culture of the world. He would be the rock. He would be the one that someone could come and depend upon. Did Peter understand this at this very moment? Absolutely not. But Jesus saw that potential in Peter. He knew that's what he would be. In September, we described leadership in this way. Leadership is stewarding the gifts and abilities that God has given us with integrity in order that we would fulfill the mission God has for us. See, I believe little did Peter realize that he was about to embark on a, on a three-year discipleship journey where he was going to learn what it meant to become that leader. Likewise, I believe there's a process. When you become a Christ follower, we embark on this journey where he wants to conform us to his image. He wants to transform our thinking. He wants us to be a person who worships God in our life. And he starts that process. So my, my question is, are you on that discipleship journey? Because I believe that's the, the, the crowd transformation that God wants to do with Mission View, just like he did with these fishermen. Now let's zero in on that calling. Now we get to Luke chapter 15. Or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5. And in Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at the first few verses. And in this third encounter, it is a pivotal encounter with Jesus. And so I'm going to, we're going to read the passage, but we're going to make four observations. And here's the first observation. We see Jesus at first as a teacher. Take a look at verses 1 to 3. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing into him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, and the, uh, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out, from the, uh, put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, what we see in Jesus is so classic here because he uses the world as his teaching ground. He doesn't go into a classroom. He uses the world as his classroom. And he sits in this boat and he begins to teach the people. Now, we're not told in this passage exactly what Jesus was teaching, but we know what he was teaching because in Mark chapter 1, we're told that wherever he went, he proclaimed the good news. And in that good news, he told them about how they needed to repent and believe so that they could be a part of God's kingdom. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is picking up on his cousin's message of repent, belief, forgiveness. And he is continuing that on. 
John paved the way. And so he continues on with that message of repentance. But he adds this idea of kingdom. Why does he add the idea of kingdom? John didn't say anything about him being a, uh, having the, ushering this kingdom in. No, Jesus was ushering a kingdom in. But a kingdom, if you connect the dots, has to have what? A king. And who is the king? It's Christ. And so what he is telling people, there is a kingdom work that I'm doing, and I want everyone to be a part of that kingdom. But here's the critical thing that you must do. You must believe. You must repent. You must deal with your sin before a holy God. That was the message of Christ. And then we walk through the Gospels. If you were to read through them, you'll see him say, just believe. Just believe. Just believe. And sometimes he would say, and go and sin no more. Don't sin anymore. You're a changed person. This was the message that Christ was bringing in. So that's what we, I believe he was teaching. So the second thing we see is a test of faith. Take a look at verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we to toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats. So they began to sink. Take a look at what is happening here. We first of all observe a carpenter telling the fishermen what to do. A carpenter tells the fishermen what to do. But I believe because God was doing a work in Peter, he knew that this person was more than a carpenter. There was something about his message that was ringing true in his heart. He had heard the message of John the Baptist. He had heard the message of Christ. And there was something that gave credibility. So, okay, we'll go ahead and put out our nets. But as a fisherman, he knew in his mind some things very logically. The reason they hunted at night, they, they fished at night, was because the fish came up to shallow waters to feed. And so their nets could catch them. But during the heat of the day, the fish went down into the deep. It was illogical for them to cast their nets at that time of the day. There's no way in the world we're going to catch anything. But because you asked me to do it, there's something special about you. I am going to take that step of faith. Can you imagine how Peter's heart was hilarious? As he's pulling in this fit, all the fish with his bro brothers. And they're, the boat's sinking down because the fish have weighed down, weighed down the boat so much. How hilarious this must have been and how transformative it must have been. Because I believe everything that Jesus was doing there was a picture of what God wanted to do in Peter's life. His life was the boat. And he wanted to do something so different that it would radically fill him up with levels of joy that he had never, ever experienced before. 
And that's exactly what God still wants to do with every one of us. He has a work he wants to do with you. He has a work that he wants to do with each one of us. See, this journey that Peter's on, we're on as well. Look at the third observation. Notice what follows this. It's the testimony of Peter's sin. Take a look at this. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that had taken place. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Notice Peter's response gives proof that God had been working on his heart. Why did he say, depart from me, for I am a sinful man? Why did he say that? Because when we know we are in the presence of God, our sin stands out like a sore thumb. Peter stood as Isaiah stood in, in chapter 6 of Isaiah before the throne of God. And he says, oh, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And God takes an altar, a coal from the altar and cleanses Isaiah's mouth. This was Peter's Isaiah experience. This was him coming face to face with his sin. I believe that in his heart he confessed his sin. I believe he confessed the filth. I believe he confessed the corruption that he had been a part of in that society. Because Peter knew that he was a sinful man. And here's the fourth observation. This is so, so cool. He says, and we, what we see next is, Peter is totally committed. He's all in. Not like before, where it's just for a day. No, he's all in, committed to the call of God. Verse 10, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You will be a fisher of men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You see, it was at this point that Peter's all in after he dealt with his sin and he could move forward. But please note what he's totally committed to. He's totally committed to being a fisherman. Exactly what he wanted of all of his other disciples and exactly what he wants of us. It's one of the primary purposes by which he put us here on this earth. That we too could be fishers of men. Did Peter's occupation change of fishermen? No. His focal point changed. His focal point changed 
in that he knew that the greater value, the greater good, the greater calling that God had on his life was that he would now focus on the souls of men more than he would fish. And he knew that even in his occupation or wherever God took him, that was his primary need was to focus on the souls of men because fish will fry. They'll be done with. But the souls of men last forever and ever and he wanted to make an eternal difference in their life. And likewise, this is the transformation and the calling I believe God wants for every one of us. Some of you are doctors. Some of you are nurses. Some of you are school teachers. Some of you are in IT. Some of you are counselors. Some of you are firefighters. Some of you are, and we can go down the list, but what he wants of every one of us is a change of focal point. That that occupation is not what defines us. What defines us is that we are fishers of men in our occupation. And my friends, when that happens, I believe there will be, there will be outcomes, there will be things that will be evidence of it in our life. Number one, we will love our neighbor. Isn't that what Matthew 22 says? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as your what? Self. We start loving our neighbors and that neighbor might be my coworker, that neighbor might be my actual neighbor, but we love them. Number two, we don't just love them, but we start praying for our neighbors. Doesn't Paul say, please pray for those that I am ministering to? I believe we got examples of praying for people that we want to reach out to. And there is an urgency in our hearts for our circle of responsibility, for those that are in the rhythm of our life. When we have received this calling and accept the responsibility, we will do that. Number three, we will intentionally reach out to our neighbors. We will intentionally do it because we want them to understand that Jesus wants them in the kingdom. And number four, we will share our grace story of our transformation with other people. And finally, we will invite people to join in on God's kingdom. I'm not convinced as a church or for the church in general, that we have embraced this calling. And so as we close our service today, I ask you this simple question. Have you accepted God's kingdom calling in your life to be a fisher of men? And I'm going to ask you to stay seated while we're singing this song. And I'm going to close in prayer. But if there is an individual that would say, you know what? I need to make that decision today to be a fisher of men. All I want you to do in that decision is to stand where you are. Stand where you are. If you're seated, that doesn't mean that you haven't accepted it. it may have said, you may have a long time ago, no, no, I was dedicated to that a long time ago. And I'm praising God for those that would make such a decision. But worship, true worship, is us saying, okay, God, you're working in my heart just like you were in Peter's heart. And I need to be able to say, I am a man of unclean lips. I need to confess to you. And I am accepting this calling to be a fisher of men. That's your statement by standing during this song. 
And in a little while, Jesse will ask everybody to stand. Would you seriously, seriously contemplate that? Lord Jesus, I love the body. I love the church. But my love for the church fails in comparison to your love for the church. And so, Lord, as we make vital decisions at church, as we make vital decisions as to what you're doing, I pray that we wouldn't do that lightly, but that we would do it with our full heart and that we would desire to be honest about our sin before you and ask you with open hands and open arms to take us and to make us that fisher of men. Lord, help us to think through that calling seriously now. Pray that in your name.